This week I had the opportunity to sit down with some friends that were in the process of launching a journey community and we were talking about things related to that. Uh, But kind of during the middle of that conversation, uh, one of the couples that was there kind of alluded to some challenges in their life as we were talking. And it was one of those things that as the conversation went on, I I just never lost that in the back of my mind. I felt like the spirit just kept saying, you need to circle back to that. You need to circle back. So we got done talking about what we were going to talk about. And I just asked them, I just said, hey, you'd mentioned earlier that there were some challenges. Um, Could you unpack that with us a little bit? And as they began to share, um, I thought I was going to do better at this one, but I just saw them. As they began to share about some challenges in their life around their adopted daughter and the hurt and the pain and the chaos that that was bringing into their family, My heart just broke. Uh, There were tears. uh, There were prayers. And just doing everything we could to try to bear one another's burdens in the midst of that. But when I walked away, I just kept thinking about, my friend said over and over, I just want to know, where is God in all this? Where is God in all this? I think that's a fair question. And I know when we walk into pain, And suffering in this life, it brings to question. It brings to our mind questions about God. Sometimes we we just want to know, is God competent? Is he doing all that he can? Does he know what he's doing? Does he have the power to affect change in these areas that are so difficult for me? Is he in control? Sometimes we have questions about God's character. If he is in control, and if he does have the power, does he care about me? Is he paying attention to me? Does he love me? Is he good? As we step into this series that we're calling Suffering Loves Company, we need to just look suffering right in the eye. We need to just be really, really honest as well about all of our lives and the things that are happening underneath the hood for all of us. Suffering is all around us. I mean, we can try to hide it. We can try to keep it in. We can try to walk in here and act like everything's great. But as soon as we start to open up the curtains to our life and share with others, we realize there is hidden hurt and pain and suffering for all of us. It's just a matter of degree. People are dealing with health issues. People are dealing with financial issues. Relationships that are off the rails in their life. Death and loss abandonment, anxiety, fear. We're all wrestling with stuff. This is why this is so important to me and why it needs to be important to us. If we're gonna be, as Journey Church, if we are gonna be the church that Jesus Christ is asking us to be, we have to learn to be a spiritual family that learns how to bear one another's burdens. We have burdens. I kind of just wish that we all just walked around with signs that said, I have a burden, just to remind us over and over of that truth. There's not a a person that you're going to lay eyes on today that doesn't have something that they're carrying. We've also got to come to the place where we understand that suffering and pain is a very normal part of the Christian experience. 
If we, we can try to pretend that everything is just puppies and rainbows all the time, but it's not, is it? We know better. Suffering, it's more the rule than the exception. And here's the big idea, friends, that I want us to get our minds around today. And the big idea is this. There is nothing that is incompatible. There's nothing that is incompatible with God's wise and redemptive love and bad things happening in your life. There's nothing incompatible between God's wise and redemptive love and bad things happening in your life. Those two things can happen at the same time. That's what God is gonna teach us in the scriptures today. But he's not gonna do it by just giving us principles, giving us propositions, a bunch of commands and directives, do this and don't do that. He's gonna give us a story. He's gonna give us the opportunity to look, like how does this play out in the life of a real flesh and blood person? He gives us the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph takes place on about 13 chapters at the very end of the book of Genesis, about one quarter of the book. That tells you how important this is to God, 13 chapters. Because here's what we've got to grab a hold of. If we can learn from Joseph's life how to walk through suffering, we can begin to start to make sense of our own life as suffering comes upon us. And we're standing there asking the question, where is God in all this? There's three things that we're going to learn from Joseph today. We're going to learn that we've got to understand God's plan. We've got to understand God's presence. And we've got to understand God's passion. When we look at Joseph's life, I'm going to unpack it. You can see on your notes page, there's a big W on there. Not a triangle, a W. I know it's confusing everybody. But when we think about the life of Joseph and we track his life, you can think about it like a W, highs and lows. In the beginning of Joseph's life, it starts out great. He is the favored son of, Joseph, of Jacob. He's the 11th of 12 sons, but he is the oldest son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. And that made him Jacob's favorite. And there was this symbol of this favoritism that Jacob showed to Joseph. It was this coat. It was this beautiful, extravagant, ornate coat that he wore. And when all of his brothers looked at and saw that coat, they said, wow, I'm so excited for you, Joseph, that you got that from dad. Yeah, you know better. This was the seeds of sibling rivalry. They hated Joseph, because of that coat and because of what, what it represented, dad's special love for him. At the beginning of this story, Joseph is only 17 years old and he probably didn't even comprehend the way that the toxicity of these family relationships were already invading his family. But then God gives Joseph these two dreams and they both meant the same thing. The meaning of these dreams were that one day, all of the family were going to bow down and worship the younger brother. And Joseph, you would think if you were smart, you might not share that with your brothers. But he excitedly tells them and announces this vision that he's had. 
lacked tact, lacked wisdom. And it caused his brothers to hate him even more. He started out as the favored son, but sharing this vision started a long slide of bad things that started to happen for Joseph. His brothers were out tending the flocks. Dad sends Joseph out to find out what's going on. He just wants him to check up on him. Well, Joseph goes out to where the brothers are supposed to be, but they're not there. But just by chance, he runs into a stranger who overheard the brothers saying that they were gonna move on to a more remote, remote, isolated place called Dothan. Here's what happens in Dothan. Because it's this isolated place, these brothers, they begin to hatch a plan that they think they can get away with because nobody is ever gonna find out about it. They're gonna take care of that little brother once and for all. They seize him, they throw him down into the bottom of a well, and they, then they try to decide, what are we going to do with him? Some of them want to just kill him. Just want to wipe him out completely. But some of the other entrepreneurs are thinking, you know, we could get some cash for this kid. So they decide that they're going to sell him into slavery. And that's what they do. For silver, they sell Joseph into slavery. So this favored son, this pinnacle child, now finds himself in bondage on his way to Egypt. Goes from the top all the way to the bottom. But here's what happens at the bottom. Genesis 39, starting in verse 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. Tuck that away. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this. And realized the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From that day, Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property. The Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food he was gonna eat. And he's like, Burger King McDonald's, it's the biggest thing he's gotta do now because Joseph is taking care of everything. But Joseph didn't stay there. This whole story kind of reminds me of that kid's game, shoots and ladders. It's up, it's down, it's up and down. Well, here it goes. It goes down again. The scripture tells us that Joseph was well-built and handsome. Think Tom Brady. <laughs> Loosely translated Hebrew there. Guys want to be him. Girls want to date him. But you know who wanted to date him? Potiphar's wife. Big problem. Now, an Egyptian ruler, he can probably have any woman that he wants. Likely, she is very, very beautiful. And she is continually making the moves on our friend Joseph. But he is a man of integrity, a man of character. He says, how can I do this to Potiphar? How could I dishonor God? And so our Tom Brady, Joseph, he is continually giving her the Heisman pose. <laughs> 
day after day, stiff arm air. No, I will not go to bed with you. This makes her angry, frustrated. Eventually, she makes up this story about Joseph coming to have his way with her. Potiphar finds out he becomes angry, and here's what it happens. Starts that road down to the bottom again. Verse 20, so he, Potiphar, took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Here it is again. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. So here's Joseph, stuck in prison. But now another guy comes to prison. This is the cupbearer for Pharaoh. And while they're in prison together, this cupbearer has a dream that through the spirit of God, helps Joseph interpret his dream. And then this cupbearer gets restored into the court of Pharaoh. So as he's leaving prison, Joseph is saying, hey, cupbearer, buddy, remember me. And he's like, you know what? I got you, bro. Didn't have him, bro. Totally forgets about him. Years later, finally, Pharaoh has these dreams that nobody can interpret. The cupbearer remembers, hey, there was this guy in prison that I remember that was able to interpret my dream. So they bring Joseph to Pharaoh. Pharaoh shares the dreams. And he, again, by the spirit of God, helps Pharaoh understand what's gonna happen. There's gonna be these years of amazing surplus in the nation of Egypt. But then there's gonna be the most severe famine that you've ever seen. And so Joseph not only interprets the dream, but he lays out for Pharaoh a public policy to help them begin to store things during the surplus years so that they can use them during the years of famine. Pharaoh is looking at him and just says, this guy is brilliant. So he puts Joseph in charge of everything over Egypt. There's like Pharaoh and then there's like Joseph. He is on his way to the top again. So there he is. He's implementing this public program. As those years of famine came, people had to come to him. They had to come to get food just to stay alive. But it wasn't just Egypt. People from the complete surrounding area had to come to him. Eventually, one day, 10 tired, scruffy Hebrew men show up before Joseph. They need their grain if their families are gonna stay alive. These men, Joseph's brothers, they don't recognize him. When they threw him in the bottom of a well, he was just a kid. Now he's grown and he's got Egyptian royal robes on. They don't recognize him. But as the story unfolds, it gets to the place where Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. He says, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother, the one that you sold to slavery in Egypt. 
To make a long story short, the rest of the narrative plays out. And we get to the place where all of Joseph's family is in Egypt together. And they live the rest of their life in Egypt happily ever after. Happily ever after Joseph spent decades suffering because of what his brothers did to them. And then he gets put into the position where he saves their life. His enemies, he takes care of them. God saves everyone through Joseph, but he saved him through Joseph's suffering. And this wasn't just a bad day, a bad week, or a bad month. This was years of suffering in his life. Joseph can speak to us, friends, about suffering. And one thing that we know that Joseph understood is that he understood that God has a bigger plan. God has a bigger plan. Now we can look at this story and we can step back and we can start to ask that same question that my friend asked, that we ask when suffering comes over. Where is God in all this? Is he missing an action in some way? I mean, imagine what that was like for Joseph in the bottom of a cistern, in the bottom of a well, screaming out to your brothers to save him, screaming out to God to save him. Where was God then? And as these series of events happen in his life that lead him down and down and down in his life, where is God in the midst of that? Was God absent? Was God not there? No, God was there. There's this thread that runs throughout this whole story. God was there and he was working. Sometimes it seemed like he was hidden, but he was always in complete control. And that's why as we look at the story of Joseph, we can come to that place where we can say that there is nothing incompatible. There is nothing incompatible with God's wise and redemptive love for us and bad things happening to us. We can't look at the story of Joseph and come to any other conclusions. As I was unpacking this story in my mind, it made me think a little bit like a puzzle. Like as God's plan in some ways, the way that we view it from our angle is a little bit like a puzzle. We've got all these different puzzle pieces. And we don't always know how they fit together. And some of them are kind of beautiful, kind of bright and cheery pieces. But there's other pieces that are kind of dark and dreary. And when we think about our life and how our life unfolds, we see that that is often how it unfolds for us. Everything is not the bottom. Everything is not the top. Life is a mixture of those things. But it's when we're at the bottom that we're asking the question, where is God in all this? But the view that we have when we ask that question, it's like looking at the bottom of this box, the bottom of the lid, because we can't see the whole picture. We can't see the plan that God has. But here's what we've got to understand. We've got to understand that God stands behind. God stands over everything. He sees the big picture. Things that we don't understand, things that don't make sense to us, we understand that God knows those things. God sees those things. You remember that vision 
that Joseph had at the very beginning, that his brothers were gonna bow down to him, that vision that started this whole chain of events in his life. It's not until the very end of this story that you see the fulfillment of that. Here's what the scripture says. Genesis chapter 50, last chapter, toward the end of the chapter. It says, then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people, including you. Joseph seeing the ultimate purpose played out, the purpose of his suffering. God allows Joseph to come around to the other side of the table and see the big picture so that he could understand. Here's the challenge that we have, friends. God doesn't always do that. In fact, I would say God almost never does that. And God didn't do it for Joseph until the very end. Here's what Joseph understood about God's plan. I can know it and not know it at the same time. This is what I mean by that. We need to learn to know God's plan, meaning that we need to know that God has a plan. But we need to learn to also not know his plan in the sense that we're never gonna have all the answers to why. We're never gonna understand everything that God does. Our view will always be too limited. Our understanding will always be too dim. But we need to know and not know that God has a plan. But not only did Joseph know that God had a plan, he was convinced of God's presence. Number two, God's presence. As I read this story, I felt like it just jumped off the page at me. There were four times in this text where God says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And when you think about the W of Joseph's life, where do you think it was that God was saying, I am with you? It was at the bottom. Because that's when we have the questions, isn't it? When, when life is going well and everything's going up and to the right, we're not sitting around asking a question, where is God in the midst of all this? We're just assuming God's presence. We're basking in his presence. God's goodness to me. But it's when we get the bad news, when the wheels start to come off in life, that's when we ask the question, God, where are you? In this. This is what I love about Joseph is that he never acted like someone who had been abandoned by God. It didn't matter whether he was at the top or the bottom, he continually pursued God day in, day out. How else was it that as these opportunities came up, he leaned on the Spirit of God to help him understand dreams? He pressed in with God, even in the midst of being in the midst of great suffering and pain. He never gave up. He continued to pursue God. I tried to think about putting myself in Joseph's shoes. 
I guess maybe Joseph's sandals, probably whatever he wore, putting in his place, what would I do? If year after year after year I am crying out, God, would you deliver me? Would you rescue me from this prison, from this slavery? And he continues to say, no, no, no. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking I give up after a while. God, if I'm gonna continually ask you and you're gonna continually say no, I'm done. I've had enough. Not Joseph. In the midst of this whole ordeal, he maintains an intact relationship with God. He never turns away. And if Joseph were here today, friends, he would look us in the eye and he would say, when you are in suffering, when you are in pain, don't turn away. Don't walk away, don't turn away. In fact, do exactly the opposite. Even if it feels unnatural, turn toward him. Move toward him and lean in and grab a hold of him. That's when you need him the most. God was with Joseph, even when he was in the lowest points. You know what's interesting to me? When you think about it, all along the way, as Joseph is crying out to God, to be rescued, to be delivered. God is answering his prayers. God is working out his plans. But it's not in the forms and it's not in the way and it's probably not in the timing that Joseph wanted. He wanted something completely different, but he continued to trust God. He was willing to look at the bottom of the box and say, even though I don't understand the big picture of everything that you're doing, God, I'm willing to know and to not know that you have a plan. I'm willing to trust that you have one, and even though I don't have the answers, I'm gonna continue to pursue you. And that's how we walked through suffering, knowing and not knowing the plan of God. But lastly, the third thing, Joseph was convinced of God's passion. Now, I chose that word very intentionally, One, because it started with P, and I really wanted to have three P's. But oftentimes when we think about the word passion, we think about this enormous love, this powerful love, passion. That word can be used that way. But the word passion also means suffering. As we head toward Easter and we start to think about the week before Easter, oftentimes it's referred to as the Passion Week the passion of the Christ, the suffering of Christ. We need to remember the suffering of God. Centuries after Joseph, there was a man that came to this earth, the God-man, and his name was Jesus. And if you held up his story next to the story of Joseph, you'd see some amazing similarities. He too was rejected by his people. His own family thought that he was crazy. He was betrayed for silver by those that were closest to him. He also was unjustly tried and punished. And just like Joseph, he too cried out to God, asking him, God, would you take this suffering away from me? Would you take this cup of suffering death away from me? But ultimately, he came to the place where he said, not my will, but your will 
be done. He trusted in God's plan and he suffered. And he suffered just like Joseph for the sake of his enemies so that he could forgive them. You could say of Jesus, just like Joseph said, his enemies meant it for evil. All the things that happened around, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, for the saving of many lives. God came to this earth and he suffered. He suffered with us in the same ways that we suffer. And he suffered for us in our place. He didn't exempt himself from the suffering of this world. Here's how the writer of Hebrews says it in Hebrews chapter five. I just love this. It says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who would rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. But listen to this. Even though Jesus was God's son, He learned obedience from what? The things he suffered. God doesn't exempt himself from suffering. He suffers with us. He suffered for us. Just try to imagine, if you could, what it would have been like to observe the life of Jesus when he was here on this earth watching what he did, the way that he loved and served and cared for people. And not just people of means, but the marginalized in this world, the way he came around them would have been inspiring to say the least, to watch him heal people, to bring help and to hope to the helpless and the hopeless. He loved and he served everyone. What would it have been like to just listen to him teach the wisdom that came from him? And then being invited to put him in a place of leadership in your life. Wouldn't you have wanted to follow him? Wouldn't you want him to make him king of all of Israel? Wouldn't that have made it exciting to you as the crowds continued to grow? But then suddenly, the tides turn. Jesus is betrayed. He's beaten. He's mocked. The God who came to this earth is mocked. He's spit on by men that he created. He's falsely accused. He's falsely tried. He is sentenced to a criminal's death. He is hung naked on a cross for the world to see. Now just imagine, after you've observed all that, you, you, you walk up to this scene at the cross and there's one of Jesus' disciples sitting there. One of them that had the guts and the stomach to stick it out and to stay there and watch everything that happened. As you come up upon this disciple that's sitting there, you hear him say, where is God in all this? How can he abandon the best man that we've ever, ever seen? There is no way that God can bring any good out of this. What would you say to that disciple? If I'm honest, I think I walk up on that scene 
I just say, you're right. Where is God in all this? I've had enough. I'm done with God. And yet you would be standing there looking at the most brilliant, the most beautiful thing that God ever, ever did for the human race. On that cross, sin and death were defeated. You would be looking at absolute beauty, but because you can't fit it in to your limited understanding, you may just walk away. You just say, enough. Had enough with God. The cross reminds us we don't walk away. We stand back now and we look back at that event that happened 2,000 years ago and we say, thank you. We sing about it. We thank God over and over for what he did. But if we sat there that day, we'd be like, it makes no sense at all. Just because we don't understand doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. It doesn't mean that he's not in there with us. He is present with us in the midst of it. And we've got to remember his suffering for us. It's amazing to me to think that it takes the entire Bible to unpack this whole story of what the cross means for us here today. The entire Bible. And even for Joseph, it takes a big chunk of the book of Genesis to understand the magnitude of what God was doing in and around his life. Big chunk of a book. But I know what you want because I want the same thing. I want my book. I want my description of what God is doing in and through my life in the midst of my suffering. I want to see what the end is. I want to know what the end is. God doesn't give it to us. We look at the picture and this is what we see. But we remember that God is on the other side. He sees it all. He knows it all. He's got a plan. He's got a plan that he is unfolding for us. Friends, when we look at the cross, when we look at the reality that God was willing to suffer with us and suffer for us, we understand his heart. So that even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our suffering, we don't turn away, but we lean in and we move toward him. And we learn that we need to know and not know God's plan. Know that he has one. He's working it to completion in and through our lives. But we won't know. We won't know how it all unfolds or the implications of everything until one day we're with him. I wanna just ask you to set your things aside. And I want you to just take some time to process with God. Is there anything that he wants to say to you today any way that he wants you to respond to him in obedience. As we wrap up here this morning, I wanna ask us to do something together. This is not something that we normally do, but what I wanna ask you to do is would you just stand to your feet and would you grab the hand of the person next to you? Maybe you'll need to Scoot closer in the row, whatever it takes. Would you just grab the hand of the person next to you? 
as I reflected on how to land the plane today, I just had this picture that if we're going to be the church that Jesus is asking us to be, we've got to learn to be in this together. We've got to learn to walk through pain and suffering together. We've got to learn to bear one another's burdens. Suffering loves company. I take it another step. Suffering needs company. We need each other. And as you think about what we've talked about today, I want to give you an assignment. I want to ask you to do something. Sometime this week, hopefully it's even today, would you tell someone a burden that you're carrying? And would you ask them, ask them to pray for you? Just simply ask someone to pray for you. Let them know what the burden is that you're carrying and ask them to pray for you. I want you to tell someone a burden that you have, but I also want you to ask someone in your life, is there a burden that I can bear for you? Is there a way that I can come around your life to help bear a burden that you're carrying? Friends, we can't make this theoretical. We've got to make it practical. How do we walk with one another through pain and suffering? We've got to open up the curtains of our life. We've got to ask the hard questions. We've got to be there for one another. I just want to pray over you as we close. God, it is such a great privilege to get to be a part of your spiritual family. God, I know that you're growing us. You're working in our lives. You're helping us learn how to follow you, how to be your people. God, we know that part of being your people is that we learn to bear one another's burdens. God, would you show us how to do that? Would you give us the courage to do that? Would we love one another the way that you loved us? Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.